Hello and welcome back to Benaiah, Mighty Man of God by P.H. Thompson, an audiobook. These are the questions for reflection or group study. Number one, Benaiah used the blue and white striped cloth to remind him of his brother and of his need to obey at all costs. Do you have an object that holds that kind of significance for you? What are the benefits of such an object? And are there any dangers to such a practice? Two, David felt guilty about cutting off the corner of Saul's robe in the cave because the robe symbolized the office of the king, and David took it with violence. Do you think David was being hypersensitive, or do you think, like Benaiah, he understood the truth behind the symbolism? 3. After reading this book, has your understanding of Benaiah's three heroic deeds or your appreciation of him as a person changed? 4. Jehoiada said, We cannot choose to believe only the aspects of God's sovereignty that suit us. He is either sovereign over all, or he is not sovereign at all. How much does the knowledge of God's sovereignty comfort or concern you when unexplained or tragic events occur in your life? 5. Benaiah lived during the glory days of Israel, and no doubt witnessed many things in his various roles. But it was a time of war until Solomon's reign, and like David, he spilled much blood. His wife Moriah didn't really understand how he could do some of the things he did, like execute people. In the New Testament, when asked by soldiers what they should do to show their faith, John the Baptist did not tell them to stop being soldiers, but only to not abuse their power. So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely, and be content with your wages. Luke 3.14 Do you think there is a tension between being a believer and a soldier? 6. How much blame rests with Bathsheba for the adultery? No protest is recorded, as in the other cases like David's daughter Tamar or Joseph, nor is there any indication he physically forced her, as in the case of Dinah and Tamar. What are your thoughts? Is she completely innocent, like David's daughter Tamar? Do you think she had the power to say no, or as a subject was she expected to follow the orders of the king? Does your understanding of the story change in light of our contemporary views on consent and sexual assault? 7. Do you think Bathsheba suspected that, that David had anything to do with Uriah's death before it was revealed by the prophet? Scripture doesn't tell us, but how do you think she felt about David once she found out? 8. Do you think Uriah suspected David had slept with his wife? What reasons do you have for this view? 9. Bathsheba was the wife of Uriah the Hittite and the daughter of Eliam, who was the son of Ahithophel. That makes David triple guilty as Bathsheba was both a wife and daughter of two of his mighty men and the granddaughter of one of his most trusted counselors. Though our culture downplays the seriousness of adultery, our sin is never secret or without consequences. Why do you think God was so angry about this sin since he seemed to look the other way when David took many wives and concubines, contrary to his instructions. 10. According to the Mosaic Law, the man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, shall surely be put to death. Both Bathsheba and David should have been put to death, but God forgave them. Think about that. David broke four of the commandments, coveting his neighbor's wife, adultery, murder, and lying. But he could rejoice and say, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. 
Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Since we live on this side of the cross, we know that the reason God could forgive David was because Jesus would pay for his sin. All Old Testament saints were, in a sense, saved on credit. They knew the Messiah was coming. But how much do you think they understood of what that would be like in regards to a final payment for sin? 11. When David pronounced judgment on the scoundrel in Nathan's story, he was passing judgment on himself, which would be fulfilled in the death of four of his sons, the first unnamed son by Bathsheba, then Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah. The violence in his family, the rebellion of Absalom, and Absalom's rape of David's concubines were also part of the judgment that God pronounced on David through Nathan. He would feel the guilt of this one event many times throughout his life. Do you feel God punished David enough, or that he didn't have to personally feel the punishment because it fell on his family members? 12. Even though he was forgiven by God, David still received the consequences of his sin. God said there were two reasons for this. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun. And, however, because of this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. This shows us that nothing we do is hidden from God, that he will judge, and his judgment is according to righteousness. We can also see that he is concerned with the glory of his reputation, which David dishonored. Have you seen an example of God forgiving a person, yet still making them feel the consequences of their sin? 13. Although the story of David and Bathsheba's adultery is more of a cautionary tale of what not to do, it is nevertheless an encouragement to those who feel their sins are beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. David is told God forgives him. What about Bathsheba? Could she ever move past this event? She suffers the death of their first child. She must deal with the gossip and disdain of the rest of David's family, his wives and grown sons. Does God forgive her? In 2 Samuel 12, 24-25, Bathsheba is comforted by David, and she is referred to as David's wife rather than Uriah's. God grants her conception, and she gives birth to Solomon. God also sends Nathan the prophet to encourage her by saying his name is Jedidiah, which means the Lord loved him. Further, of all of David's sons, Bathsheba seems to instruct Solomon in his faith, as he mentions many times in Proverbs, and it is Solomon who succeeds David on the throne. But her ultimate blessing is to be recorded in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Have you ever felt that you'll live with the stigma of some sins throughout your whole life? 14. Although scripture is silent on the issue of what happens to infants who die, as to their eternal destiny, some use the example of the death of David and Bathsheba's first son to infer that they go to heaven. David said, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Some think he is talking about heaven, but he could just mean the grave. When scripture is silent, we mustn't presume. Where it stops, we mustn't proceed. Yet it is enough to say with Abraham, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? It's God's definition of right that matters, not ours. What are your thoughts? Does the fact that David's first son was uncircumcised and therefore unnamed affect your views at all? 15. 
Benaiah felt like an accomplice to David's sin of adultery for bringing Bathsheba to him even though she was married. Then he felt responsible for all the fallout as well. Do you think there is any justification for his feeling this way? How much of an excuse is, I was just following orders? Paul tells Timothy, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Was Benaiah sharing in David's sin by his actions and subsequent inaction? 16. Throughout his whole life and at key moments of crisis, Benaiah made the wrong decision and then felt he wasn't pleasing God. As a result, Benaiah struggled with guilt for much of his life until his father reminded him of God's grace. This changed his feelings about how much his behavior affected God. He knew he couldn't obey his way into God's favor or disobey away his mercy, even though his actions were not unimportant. Do you ever feel God is not satisfied with what you do? How much does grace factor into the equation? 17. Benaiah failed to counsel David about the proper way to do a census to avoid a plague, and then he again felt the weight of the consequences of his inaction. Even though he wasn't David's spiritual advisor, he knew, as the son of a priest, he should say something to the king when the high priest failed to do so. What is the balance between doing what we know is right and remaining in our prescribed roles? Was Benaiah wrong to keep silent? 18. How do you feel about David's choice to accept famine or a plague among the three options offered to him in 2 Samuel 24? Did they reveal selfishness or faith? 19. Benaiah's hesitation to kill Joab in the tabernacle is understandable. As a believer and the son of a priest, he would know such a thing should not be done. He had an ethical dilemma, but this time he went back to Solomon to receive further instructions. It would seem that he did kill him in the tabernacle, but perhaps Benaiah dragged Joab away from the altar to do it. This was his moment of redemption. He no longer blindly obeyed if he didn't agree. Were you surprised to learn that scripture recorded this seemingly insignificant conversation between Benaiah and Solomon? Continue listening for the author's note.